Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, man? A little crusty this morning. Had a... Had a few drinks last night at an Irish traditional music session, which I know oh, you nice. love. Yeah, yeah, just feeling a bit, uh, yeah, a bit crusty. And then I stayed up to watch LAFC and the Philadelphia Union. Thank God that you did. The hammer of Thor in I that mean, game. We're only a couple weeks into the season, but that game, like we might be at the end of the year and say that we didn't see a game much more fun than that one. That was tremendous fun, and um, I think we might have seen our goal of the year already from that game it's just just whack it it was that's a drop uh like what time did that occur eastern time like i was sitting downstairs the game was going on it was after midnight um especially also because there were eight minutes of first half stoppage time with the number of injuries that the union incurred um but so it was probably about like 12 15 12 around there and i just kept thinking like okay I, i don't know how much longer i can last but things kept happening in this game that just like it wouldn't let you go to bed and the, we're talking about the LAFC Philadelphia Union game on FS1 last night uh and then like after this happened the free kick for Philadelphia um when the game was tied 2-2 or no this is this made it was 1-1 this made it 2-1 yeah uh in the second half this was the moment where you said okay well I'm, that's it I'm in now for the for the remainder looks like he's lining up for a shot it's here. the center back Jacob Glesnitz he's going for yes! oh my god a Norwegian center back has just produced a moment that is going to go around the world. Oh my goodness. Uh, one of the favorite things about that free kick for me is his feet being off the ground. So when he hits the ball, he's he's off the he's practically he he launches himself into it is yeah. what he does. And it it takes this the LAFC keeper can see it all the way and is yet powerless. It takes a little bend, a little deviation at the end, but it's traveling so fast. I mean, he's never getting to it. The uh, You mentioned the, the feet off the ground thing. Yeah. There's one clip in particular that I think of. I, I know it's happened many times, but I think it was Roberto Carlos has that famous one. Yes. Um, that like when you look at the angle from behind, it looks like he's like defied mathematics. It and was physics. July, June nineteen ninety seven, Confederations Cup. Right? No, or- le, le Tournoi, oh, okay. which was a, a tournament to lead into France ninety eight, like a, a test run. And so, uh, like the, it's the Confederations Cup that I'm thinking of, right? The uh, no, that's not what it was called. It was no, called. but I'm saying like that's what it became, right? Le, the, maybe. Well, I don't know. I guess that's yeah. You're probably right, actually. Yeah, because that they just decided, hey, this is a good idea. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, that goal that he scored. Like I I think of that. But yeah, the game last night was unbelievable. Three three was the final. Uh, The Union. I guess it'll be kind of a conflicting three three because you go to LAFC and you think, okay, we get out of there with a point. Um, We'll take it any way we can get it. But to lose the lead uh, three separate times. And two of those times to have lost it seemingly within seconds, uh, there was, there's at least a little bit of frustration, I think, associated with something like that, that you, 
Like that just can't be the moment where you shut down defensively. But it's also LAFC kind of exerting just how great they are. Uh, they may not, you know, you may not think that coming out of a three-three at home. You know, it's a game that LAFC presumably should be winning if they're a great team. But it's just this idea of like, okay, we need a goal now, so let's go and get a goal. Like it feels like they can do that. Yes, uh, Andre Blake under a high ball is still one of the more terrifying feats in uh, or things to see in MLS, despite the fact he made a lot of saves. He is not good with the cross. Well, playoffs last season he wasn't. Well, uh, then he had a weird night last night because he made saves. By the same token, they also. They lose that game if not for him. Yeah, right at the end. What a great save. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a weird game for him. But my, sometimes this league, like that's one of those games where I'll just say like if you're you're someone who loves soccer but refuses to watch MLS for whatever reason, I would I would point to games like that and say, you know, you're missing like awesome stuff. Like I'm not saying the defending is always great. Goalkeeping, you're right. There's things that happen. But we've, we're seeing right now in the Premier League, there's things that happen with goalkeeping and defending. What all the time. a magical segue into the Manchester Derby. So here's the deal. Um, we kind of have it laid out this week, uh, the good and the bad. Uh, the first half of the show, we're going to focus on the good because I feel like there's more good to talk about, and we want to start with that because we're a positive show. We like to harp on positivity, keep people happy, especially on a Monday when so many things are happening in this world that have people's minds all wrapped up, and it's time for us to bring some fun. Let's bring some funny. <laughs> bring the funny. Um, bring the yuck yuck. So we've got – I've pointed out five different clubs or teams that I put in the category of good coming off of this weekend, the first one being Manchester United. Um, this, I know they beat City earlier, mm. but, you know, circumstances being what they are right now at this stage of the season, um, United kind of knowing what their target is, get to top four, five might even do it based on Manchester City's Champions League availability moving forward. But this was a huge, this was a huge win for them. It might be the biggest win that Solskjaer has had since he's arrived at this club. Yeah, and it finds him in a moment where... I think people expect him to be manager at the start of next season, whereas that was uncertain before Christmas. Um, I think that's important, by the way, what you just said there. Yeah. Like he, he's in a way not to be overly dramatic. He's kind of come back from the dead in the, in the minds of 90% of, I'd say fans and journalists. Like this guy had no business having this job. And was a dead man walking. Uh, and I think you're right. Now, there still may be disagreement as to whether or not that's a good thing for Manchester United, but like results are what they are. And, you know, some of these signings that Manchester United have had are starting to look like they're productive signings, more than productive signings. That's, that's selling it short. I think uh, the missing link, when we talk about protracted transfer sagas, we think of Manchester United right now, but for once, the long saga to get Bruno Fernandes was worth it. He is playing the passes, linking the play necessary for the forwards that we've always kind of thought were good but not producing, like the Martials of this world. Yeah, He's capable of doing that now. And I still think they're short in other positions. I, I'm sure Solskjaer knows that. Um, but that is a massive thing. They were defensively solid yesterday. And when they got the ball, the big thing was they could link the play enough to get up the field. Like, City still dominated possession, but it didn't really matter because United had a cutting edge. It's a, City, I, I know Aguero's uh, offside goal that was ruled out um, was one really good City move that they, they put together. But generally, City seemed blunt. They missed Kevin De Bruyne like there was no tomorrow. 
and United had that X factor in Bruno Fernandes. Look at how prescient the ball was over the top for Martial. Martial just sees Aguero and Ilkay Gundogan on that side, runs between them, and, okay, Ederson should save it, but how good is that pass? How good is that quick free kick from Bruno Fernandes? I actually think he's been more influential in other games he's played so far, but he was still very good yesterday, and um, and he changes this United team. They are dangerous with him. They have a plan when he plays. Again, they do need to figure some things out, but with Matic and McTominay serving as the base yesterday, the back four was solid. There was no space for, for Manchester City to play in between the lines in advanced areas. And Bruno Fernandes was the X factor. He, let's be honest, it should have been 2-0 if Daniel James would get his head up. Well, I was going to say about him, he's an interesting one just because like you talk about the, the cutting edge that Manchester United had, um, like maybe in the final third he struggles, but he's dangerous. Like in the in in the counterattack, how many times do we see him down the right side just like wreaking havoc? The yeah. one move that he made on Otamendi in the box when Otamendi just goes for it and bang, James goes right around him and takes the shot. That's the one where you're saying he should have played it back across the middle, right? Bruno Fernandez. He whacks the box. it and Ederson stands up and pushes it over the bar. I think that was, I think that was the one where Fernandez was streaking in. Second half and Solskjaer is like yeah. frustrated yeah. on the sideline. I think that was the one, but like he's. Yeah, he's he's tailed off significantly from what his start was, but you still see he's a young player. And in games like yesterday, I'm watching that thinking that like he's incredibly dangerous in open field situations. But I want to talk about Bruno Fernandes for one second more because uh, you are right in everything you're saying. And I saw this from Phil McNulty uh, at the BBC. He said since making his Premier League debut in the goalless draw at home to Wolves on February 1st, Fernandez has been involved in more goals in the competition than any other player with two goals and three assists. Um, that is what we call making an instant impact. Yeah. And it also leads me to wonder something. We're talking about Solskjaer and him coming back from the dead. JJ, what were we talking about on this podcast? I think it was roughly a month ago. Uh, angry Manchester United supporters stormed Ed Woodward's house and... Well, they didn't storm it. They, they, well, they attacked it. It was a rocket attack. It was... Uh, they attacked his house. They attacked his house with... Um, what was it? Uh, fireworks. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, look. That was also put down by some people on the internet as actually a false flag attack. That it wasn't really happening and that it was paid for by a national newspaper. You serious? That was the rumor. It wasn't. Okay. I hope. Um, Conspiracy theories. I was going to say, is this a time for you to like recite the news in your Alex Jones voice again? Well, the military industrial complex, uh, which has been... Held up by the mainstream media and liberals. Uh. <laughs> but what I was going to say about Ed Woodward was that I do wonder – things will change. They'll change again. People will hate him again. But I do wonder if we're in a moment right now where we can say, hmm, like some of the hate – like are do people need to – well, just think about it for a second. You're oh, laughing over- oh, this is this is just – what is this? This is just what we do, I guess. Where Everything is Look, so reactive not, now. But – Yes, but that's what I'm saying to the people who have who have hated on him for a while now. You like, got this one right, Eddie. Well, but it's not just this one. That's the thing. It's like, okay, Bruno Fernandez. I know it's very early, and maybe we're being reactive on that one. But like Juan Basaka is legit. He's going to be a great player. Like I think we're we're already seeing a guy who's looking like the, one of the next great fullbacks in this league in mm-hmm. a time when there's there's no shortage of them. He's like he. 
I know Raheem Sterling had one chance late uh, in the second half in the in the box. I don't think Wambasaka was even near that. It wasn't wouldn't really be on him. But for the most part, Wambasaka was amazing against Raheem Sterling yesterday. And I think now a signing that initially people thought was maybe a failure. I think Fred now looks like a legitimately good Manchester United player. There's like there's there's no weak link with him out on the field. And I know that's a low bar, but like I, I'm I'm underselling it. Fred's been good for Manchester United. Okay. Like we're starting to see now, look, not every signing that you make is going to hit. And I wonder if we got into this phase because Manchester United had a couple really high profile signings that didn't hit in uh Di Maria, in Pogba, moves like that, you know, because those fell flat. I feel like it cast an even brighter Alexis light. Alexis Sanchez. Okay, that one too. Like it cast a really bright light. But like if you look at the three we just talked about with Juan Bissaka, Fernandez, and Fred, uh, if you want to throw in there, I know there's weeks where he's not great, but like I do think Harry Maguire, considering it's a position that United needed, yes, they overspent for him, but I still think he's a young player. He was really good yesterday. Like I think when it's all said and done, when the script is written on him and his time at United, I think that will go down as a good signing too. I'm just saying, like. I think that you talk about people being too reactive. I think that there was a little bit of maybe being too reactive in the negative way when talking about some of the recent signings for this club. And I know United fans who hate his guts are going to unload on my uh, on my mentions and, and probably send me a laundry list of other ones that we're not talking right. about. But like recent track record, if you want to get mad at him about the manager, well, like we're starting to say that the tune on that is starting to change too. I I think with the with the Young players that have come in, Bruno Fernandes is a recent signing and, you know, a good run of form where they seem to know what they're doing as a team. You can say that this is positive. They, they're probably short another couple of players. Yeah. Um, but the sounds and the vibe from the club is much better. There's no question, but I just, you know, you want to see it stretched out. And, and I keep saying this, I think United are heading in the right direction, but I think ultimately the guy who starts it all off probably won't be there at the end in Solskjaer. I think this is an evolution and they're at the start of it. We, we, uh, we don't know yet. And I'm, I'm Remember just. Remember too, they're doing this without Marcus Rashford, who's arguably their best player. Right. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I think they're in a good space. Yeah. And, uh, I suppose the problem is, that we are reactive at short-termism, but right now, if you're a United fan, of course you should enjoy it. Of course you should hope that things are going to be better. But, you know, are we just saying now that in, in six, seven weeks, the old problems have gone away, the director of football? I mean, they've only just got in a real proper um, integrated analytics department into the club. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a long-term overhaul, and um, we might only be at the start of it, but... Days like yesterday, that's what keep the fans coming back and give them hope. It's their first double over Manchester City since Sir Alex was there, the 09-10 season. Which wow. just, well, you say wow, but that coincides with the, the heaviest spending of the of the CFG mm-hmm. kind of project. I'm just saying, 10, 10 seasons. I know, but what's been good since... Since for United, Sir Alex left. Yeah, not a ton. Although this was a good week, like we're talking about this game right now, but we're in a stretch where they've just progressed convincingly in the Europa League, um, advanced to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and then, like we just said, they uh, are now kind of staring down top four, um, and they just pulled off a double against their uh, their crosstown rivals. I think Pep would say that their recent actions have been good. The actions of late have been excellent for United. Let's move to another club, uh, Chelsea. This was a good weekend for them just because they were so badly in need of of one of these. Not just a win, but a, a truly convincing win that I think can stabilize 
that situation a little bit. And now, depending Le- – Leicester City play this afternoon. Depending on what happens there, I mean, Chelsea are now kind of breathing down Leicester's neck uh, for third. Um and then on top of that, the youth movement continues. Billy Gilmore, 18 years old, comes in, makes his debut. By most accounts, people thought he was excellent in this game. By the way, uh, it's I was the second game where he was excellent, continuing on from the FA Cup game against Liverpool, where he, I mean, is it too strong to say, ran the show from the center of the park? Probably not, not according to Roy Keane. Did you hear what he had to say? No, I didn't. Oh, Roy Keane said on Sky, um, I thought he was world class. I sat down with the volume off which was an interesting insight. He doesn't have the commentary on when he watches the games. Nice. He was having a cup of tea and a chocolate biscuit, and he got out of his seat watching Gilmore's touches and his contributions. That's, that's, unbe- that's unbelievable praise from a man who doesn't give praise to modern footballers to say that he looks world-class. Uh, don't you think... I was kind of thinking about this with Billy Gilmore. Um, I know, you know, not like three guys does a team make, but... Don't you feel like we're kind of on the verge of, like, Scotland being good again? I had the same thought. Between him, Fraser, uh, Andy, Robertson, Andy Robertson, McTominay. Yeah, like, they're starting to put together enough players there where I feel like, like, what, what's, I'm not saying that they need to be a great team, but sort of like what's happened with Wales in the last few years. Right. Like, who? why couldn't that happen with Scotland? Well, Steve Clark's got a, I mean... Dare I say, golden generation? Yes. But he's got a better set of players than Scotland has had for a very long time. Yeah. And you've got some guys you can throw in there like Snodgrass, you know, who are good players. Yeah. And you know what it takes in international football? Andrew. Things are happening there. (laughs) Things are stirring in the Highlands. (laughs) Uh, Back to Chelsea, though. Um, 4-0 over Everton. Um, Yeah, just like guys who... To me, it felt like needed this performance, like Pedro playing as well as he did. Willian, who had kind of been in and out of the lineup, uh, playing as well as he did. Olivier Giroud now coming in and scoring a goal to put this one away. It just, like, their season has just been, it's been so up and down that it's it's kind of been a little bit hard to know necessarily. But it's been insulated, Lampard has been insulated by two factors. First of all, the expectations lowered because of the transfer ban. Right. He had to work with the kids that he had, which was kind of a blessing in disguise. And we, we did say at the outset that would help him and uh, mitigate against any criticism. And also the fact that, uh, the other teams that should be in the hunt have been tripping over themselves. Well, yes, that's which been a is huge kept, part of it. Yeah, which has kept Chelsea in a good, good place. I, I had a look at it and I thought, um, what do Chelsea need? Um, and they still need a lot of work, Andrew. They need a goalkeeper. They probably need two fullbacks and a center forward. Uh, now, Here's the danger that when Chelsea go down that road, they'll go back to being the the default settings will be old. You say Chelsea. they need a center forward. Why? Just because you don't you're not a believer yet in uh, in the youth that they have. Tammy Abraham. I'm not. Yeah, Abraham with Giroud as Ab- cover. Abraham. Um, no, I don't think that's a long term solution for Chelsea. Hudson Adoy, uh, a good attacking player, but not an out and out goal scorer. Okay. I wouldn't think um, the keeper. He's back in. He had a good game. He only saves fifty percent of his shots. You know, he's he's got a bad ratio. He's at a bad time. Maybe he gets better. He's young. Mm. Maybe okay. Center backs, I'm not sure about, and the full backs, and some of the wide players. Like we're gonna, we can expect William and Pedro probably to move on in the summer. That Pulisic comes in back from injury. That's great, but you know they're gonna need a little bit of depth. How much are you gonna give 
in terms of time for Gilmore at, at this age as well. So there's question marks over Chelsea. Mm-hmm. The real work begins next season. This well, if they qualify for Champions League and the transfer I, ban is lifted, then they will become once again a, a huge destination. I gotta believe. I, I don't know if Abramovich is conducting himself exactly the same way as he used to, mm. but there's still going to be a club that's willing to spend. I mean, the big, I suppose the big picture for me is that again, probably like United, there's lots of reason for positivity, and um, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of. I mean, I was on the. Um, London is blue podcast, and I did say that I felt they'd finish third. Now maybe they won't finish third; they'll finish fourth. But that's a good season. Um, Will uh, at Will bleeds blue on Twitter. He sent me uh, a tweet yesterday um, about Chelsea. He said, "I believe it was a Gunling who said earlier in the year, this isn't your father's Chelsea. It isn't even your older brother's Chelsea.' Truth." And he links to that a graphic on Sky Sports. I have the graphic here from Sky. Thirty um, percent, JJ, of the team's minutes played this season have come from players who are under 21, who were under 21 at the start of the year. Compare that with last, just last year for Chelsea, when only 1% of minutes came from players under the age of 21. Like this is, this is just in the span of, of like a few months from last year to this year. This is so far off the grid of what Chelsea do. It's, it's been jarring to see. It's, it also, you know, you gotta ask questions about their policy in general the last few years. Like this farm system where players went away and... Well, no one loans players like Chelsea. Should, they shouldn't have been allowed, really. You see all this talent? Oh yeah, no, I mean, look, their refusal to give young players a chance has cost them in a major way. I mean, look, Salah, De Bruyne, uh, Lukaku, like, there were really good players who went through there that just never really had the chance to thrive and like, look how it's cost them later on. Um, and I, I do think Chelsea fans, the way they'll get behind Gilmore and those young players, you can really forge a bond and a connection. Oh, yeah. Homegrown players are always going to be the most beloved players. It's just the way that it is. And Chelsea can... And with in, this manager? In this fashion, it's amazing. Illegal activities in terms of youth players has brought about a youth movement at Chelsea. Is that not the most modern football thing you can think of right wow. now? very meta but it'll give them a, an identity that they a recent identity rather because they do have a history um it'll give them a recent identity or a, a current identity that recently they haven't had yeah uh let's see continuing now another london club arsenal jj we have not spoken positively about this club in a really long time yeah and people think we just don't like them In a, it's been a really long time and i think it's at least for today i think we we have to lift uh our, our ban on speaking kindly about Arsenal. Um, this team has not lost in the league since the calendar changed over to 2020. Yes. So I guess the question is whether or not this is charted up to one of the more extreme examples of new manager bounce or if this is actually something real. Personally, in my opinion, there's something real about it. Uh, I ha- Actually, outside of the Olympiacos game, which was just horrifying and really something that they would have loved to have stayed in much, much longer. I thought we were going to speak positively. Sorry, I am. go right to their elimination from the Europa No, League. but outside... Ha- I'm supposed to be the one that feels this way about them, not you. Outside of that, I've, I've only watched little pieces of them. But from, from what I've seen, the pressing, the urgency, there was... There's always been... Um, this idea that there's an Arsenal way to play, and certainly I think that 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 was largely installed by Arsene Wenger. Mm-hmm. But that seems to have have come back with a better element of work rate, 
under Miguel Arteta. So that's what I see with my eyes when I watch games. But I went to Arsblog, who talked about the weekend, and answers your question. He said about the West Ham game, It was a day in which the result was far better than the performance, and many have asked, what makes this much different from when we were winning games under Unai Emery, but bemoaning the underlying performances? It's a fair question. For me, there are a couple of things. First is the context. Emery was a coach who had pre-seasons, transfer budgets, players brought in that he wanted, and time to work with them. Arteta, in his first managerial job, is picking up the pieces of a mess another manager left behind, having taken over at the most difficult, hectic time of the season. The other is the attitude he has to the results. Big teams find a way. I can't fully explain how much I like that, but he is reinforcing a message to the players and the fans that says, even though we are nowhere where we want to be right now, this is still the Arsenal. For me, it's a marked contrast to the things Emery would say and do, which demonstrated a kind of inferiority complex. He never fully understood the concept of Arsenal as a big club. Quite how, I'm not sure, but it was evident in in his approach and how he talked about this team. Hmm. I mean... Arteta seems to have brought back a spring in the step, despite the fact results have been up and down. They haven't been, or sorry, performances have been better, but they've drawn games yeah, that they true. should have won. Um, and by the way, even this one, like for oh. we don't think much of West Ham. Think of how close this was to, to being a nil-nil draw. And, and I would say, not to make this a VAR conversation, but this was a moment where VAR good. Like, it would have been a shame if this ended nil-nil. You text me out of nowhere saying, how do West Ham mess up that 2v1? (laughs) Look, when I – I'm a Spurs fan, all right? Like, when I'm watching Arsenal, whoever they're playing against is the team that I am actively rooting for. In this case, even even West Ham, a team that I also have no time for. Uh, So, like – 2v1s like that, uh, if you watch the game, we don't even need to specify more than that. You know what we're talking about. It, it was botched so poorly um, that you just, like, you, you can't help but think, well, this is why they are what, the, what they are. Like, moments like that. It's just, like, that would be, like, if you got a DVD of the West Ham season, you know, during, like, the main menu, there's, like, a clip playing in the background. It should just be that clip. Like, that would, that would sum up a what the year has A cutback going behind the attacking players. To back to the opposition. And then those two players screaming at each other over the miscommunication. Like, it's just... But, you know, like, some guys brought back into the fold. Like, where was Mesut Ozil at the start of the season? And I'm not saying he's great now, but, like, sets up the goal. But he does the, seem the, to be working harder. His comments seem to be like he's enjoying this manager in a way he never did with Emery. Yeah. I mean, the whole Ozil situation under Emery was botched. Uh, Emery was coming out saying... Uh, they've told me this is what, sorry, no, w- this is what we are doing in regards to Ozil, as if there was something from upstairs telling him that, you know, we're not going to play him. The next thing he reverses course on that. They, d- they did not know what they were doing. And that seems to be gone. My big question again, going forward, longer term, what is ownership's view of this club now? What do ownership want to do with this team? So I would even hone in deeper on that. Uh, Aubameyang has been great for them. Last year, and again this year, uh, if they don't qualify for Champions League play next season, can they, will they keep him? I mean, can, and, and can that's, it, I don't even know if that's an ownership question. He may demand at this point to go elsewhere, um, which it would, would devastate them. Yeah. I, I mean, they, look, there's, there's clearly more talent there 
besides him. Like I think Bukaya Saka has really looked like a, a fun player, right? Uh, who's going to keep getting better? Um, this team has improved. It feels whether this is coincidence or not. Since Ceballos came back into the lineup, um, you know, I don't know that like they were this. They just weren't playing this well before. I don't know if it's all because of him or not, but like that's important. His return to the team um, to me. It's still going to be a question of defending. Um, you know, they can hide it in ways, you know, by trying to control more of the ball. Um, but ultimately, they're going to have moments where they're opened up in the back. And I still don't think that anybody trusts what's back there. So, like, when you talk about ownership and decision making moving forward, it's still going to revolve around what they do they, at center half. And they may have to spend big on two center backs. Yeah, they probably will. Uh, all right, a couple non-EPL ones, JJ. Got to give props to the U.S. Women's National Team. Two wins in two matches in the uh, the She Believes Cup. A draw this Wednesday against Japan would be enough for the U.S. to get the win in this four-team tournament with uh, England and Spain, of course, being the other two, the two that the U.S. have just beaten. Um, any takeaways from what you've seen so far? Yeah, just on the Spain game yesterday, props to Spain, who I thought were excellent and have even developed from the World Cup in the summer in a, a short space of months. Marta Cardona could have had two goals prior to the winner by Julie Ertz. Um, set pieces again. What a great delivery by Kristen Press. And Ertz is like, I mean, I, I know people don't like when we do this, but I'm going to compare her to a male player. Virgil van Dijk in terms of attacking balls in the box. Like that is a huge weapon when you need it. Mm-hmm. If you can win a free kick, get good delivery in there. She's winning most of of, uh, of those uh, crosses. Um, I was fawning over the brilliance of Kristen Press's goal against England, which... So casual. Did, I watched the gif of it, which slowed it down a little bit. It's super casual. The fir- her, From her first touch to the shot seems like one move, and she just strikes it so cleanly. Brilliant goal. And... That kind of, uh, you know, distracted me for a little bit. And I read Kim McCauley on SB Nation, and she made an interesting point about an issue that I think um, Andonovsky is going to have to deal with. Carly Lloyd. Center forward, legend, icon, so many different ways to finish, classy finisher. But Kim made the point that Lynn Williams, who played on the right yesterday, should play in that centre-forward position. I'm like, okay, all right. She's a goal scorer, but she said she stops the opposition playing out from the back. Her press is so good that she can actually win the ball and create chances right there. Like, almost in a Liverpool style, your turnover is your number 10. I mean, if that's something that he does, first of all, he has to manage that situation. He's moving a veteran out of the picture, let's be honest. The older players, one of the challenges for the new manager is to move them on. Um, and I think Lloyd isn't as dynamic. And so it was just interesting to, to see someone give a solution to that while, while we're without Alex Morgan, who was the number one starter in that position. Mm-hmm. So that kind of struck me a little bit. Um, Carly Lloyd did score against England. I know. She, I, I, but I get, then against Spain, though, Lynn Williams actually played in a great ball to her. From I the right. It, I think it was actually would have been ruled offside and anyway. she went but to chest control it and it over. It got away from yeah. her. It almost looked like it could have caused an awful collision. Like, and I almost um, hate, it, yeah, really. I almost hate talking in those terms, but like when someone puts an argument towards you, in front of you for why, you know, she's not going to do the running. She's not going to be as dynamic as someone like Williams. Maybe that is an option he'll look at. I really think one of the 
one of the hardest things that a coach can do in all of sports is manage the end of the career of a legend. Like you, when when Carly Lloyd looked at this summer and thought about her position in this team for the Olympics, did she not think that, well, I'll be starting? Considering Alex Morgan, considering... Do you I not, don't know. Do you think... You know, in her mind, I'm sure she probably believes that she should in. be starting even when Alex Morgan is there. I think that's kind of like Carly right. Lloyd's mentality. Right. Uh, and I just think that maybe there's another way. Maybe. I'm going to just blame Kim for this, putting this seditious thought in my mind. Um, a couple other things I wanted to mention. Um, you mentioned Kristen Press, who I wanted to give a shout out to, because for someone who like seemingly has... It speaks of the quality of the team, but for someone who seemingly has a difficult time locking down a first-team place, I don't know. She's one of those players that she's magnetic to me. Whenever she's playing, it's hard, you can't take your eyes off of her. She's she's dangerous every single time she's on the ball. Uh, the ball that she played into Ertz for the winner, the goal that, like you said, that she scored against England, she's she's fantastic. Um, also, I want to give some credit to Alyssa Nair, who stepped in back-to-back uh, clean sheets for the U.S., um, so good for her. And... Also, too, just like the general uh, scene, specifically at Red Bull Arena uh, for yesterday's game against Spain, sold-out crowd um, in a place that we're told all the time when the Red Bulls can't get sellouts, there's always a reason for it. Because the Red Bulls are always they're always good, so we're told that it has to be other reasons. It has to be – it's difficult to get to. The path train doesn't run frequently enough. Parking is limited. By the way, all these things are, are true. Um I'm not comparing one exactly to the other. The Red Bulls play a lot of games there. The U.S., it's a special occasion. But it just kind of goes to show on like on a March day that when people bought tickets, they didn't necessarily know it was going to be beautiful out. Uh, these team, these girls are rock stars right now in the soccer world in this country. And like where they go, fans will follow. And they are fun to watch. It's a great atmosphere around this team. The place was electric when Earth scored that goal. It was a great scene. Uh, so it's just they just like continue to be fun. And it's great. To see that uh, whatever momentum they built from the World Cup and from a new following of fans that latched on, like it feels like people are are sticking with them. Now you hope that this continues when the domestic league kicks up again, uh, and and the following continues through there. Because one thing I don't want to see is um, the NWSL starting to lose players potentially to Europe. Like we've already seen Sam Kerr go from Chicago over to play in England. Uh, you know, you want to keep the best players playing in this country, and, you know, so. Good to see the fans like continuing to really support them in, in full voice. Yeah, you're right about the league, though. The league needs to have a big season. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, one more, JJ Juventus. Strange atmosphere, obviously, playing Weird. in an empty stadium, yeah. which I do think is something kind of like, generally speaking, we got to talk a little more about. We'll do that on what to watch for. Um, but uh, a, a huge win for them, 2-0 over uh, Inter Milan. On Sunday, they go back top of the table, just a point above Lazio. Inter Milan, any hopes, I guess, that they would have had of getting themselves back into this title race might have seemed far-fetched before. Now it's virtually impossible. So now I think people are eager for change. This isn't anything against Juventus, but people want somebody else to win this. So now we're all in on Lazio, is it? We're in behind Simone and Zaghi. I mean, they've got some nice players. That we can get behind if we may not jive with their some of their it, fans. It was them that you just did the irreducibly, about the, yeah. The their ultras breaking up, right? Yeah. The, well, the ultra, the irreducibly as a as a organized crime. 
gang uh, are 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 kind of standing down, and the Curva Nord will still have ultras, I believe, but it, they won't be of that. They won't be as extreme. Uh, I'm not sure. No, yeah. uh, but you know, Lucas Leva in the centre of the park, Correa up front. Um, I like. Chiro, Chiro Immobile is a nice guy, or seems like a nice guy. I'm trying. I, I really want someone else to win Syria, and I'm not sure it's these guys. All right, <laughs> even though we do have their scarf on our on our wall. Do we? Yeah, we do. We, oh yeah, right above my head. Hmm? How about that? Um, one weird thing about this game for Juventus in the winning in a winning effort, it was actually the first Syria A game since November 10th for Juve that did not feature a goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. Hmm. He broke his string of scoring. Um, but they did get a goal from Aaron Ramsey. He scored the first, and then he set up the second for Dybala. Um, boy, like, another one of these... We were talking about Arsenal before. Like, <laughs> I thought we were going to try to be positive about Arsenal. but like, Impossible. Having a, like, I don't know. You see him kind of thriving at Juve, and you think, like... <sighs> That's a weird one for Arsenal to have let get away. Well, there was injuries throughout his time at Arsenal, yeah. and there were patches of of good form. But it was it was hard for him to stay fit, and um, you know, not to go back to the leg break. But I mean, was he ever really a hundred percent for Arsenal after that? There was always little niggly injuries. Remember, he started the season was it four or five seasons ago, and he scored like seven or eight goals in a row. He had this amazing start, and we were like. Who is this man reborn? This son of Wales. Um, but yeah, let's just be positive. Let's just talk about Juve and not Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, so it's Juve top of the table uh, in Syria. Uh, um, like I said, that empty stadium vibe is just, I mean, I know this wasn't, this isn't new. This is a thing that happens. One um, of the biggest games of the calendar should have fans there. But, yeah. I mean, Italy is in – a quarter of Italy is in, like, this lockdown. lockdown mode. Northern Italy, essentially. I think they said a quarter of the country's population. I mean, they have to do these things. It, it spiraled. On November – I read a tweet that on February 20th, they had, like, 19 cases. And now they have 6,000. Like, it's just – it's out yeah. of control. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a uh, – we're going to take a quick break. That was the good. When we come back, there's the bad. Don't have very much, but there are two clubs in particular. Um, you may notice we haven't spoken yet about Jose Mourinho. There's a lot of shame and humiliation in this next part. I, I'm going to – it's a theme throughout. <laughs> All right. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious where you're going to go with Sounds that. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, though. Before we get to that, JJ, I do want to tell you something. Um, I want to tell you about this. When it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against a few obstacles like an overwhelming amount of resumes, too many applicants, but not enough of the right ones, trouble spotting the most qualified candidates in a sea of possibilities. And fans can attack your house when you're trying to hire the best players. That is that is one of the all-time obstacles. <laughs> house attack. Uh, that's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. First, when you post a job to ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over a 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, check out this stat. Four out of four, uh, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. 
to try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the bad um, plus what to watch for. You had a chance to speak with Ronnie Delia. Um of NYCFC ahead of their upcoming CONCACAF Champions League match. We'll hear a little piece of that interview. Uh, still a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. Oh, yeah. Back now on Caught Offside, that's the theme to MacGyver, which you specifically asked for today. Why is that? Because James Milner, in that amazing clearance off the line against Bournemouth, looked, it just reminded me of MacGyver. He gets up and he kind of has this grimace. And I thought, where have I seen that before? It's like, he's just done a heroic act and he gets up and the crowd, the adulation. Yeah. But he's like, you know, I just did that. I just (laughs) saved the world. And I'm like, that's MacGyver. That's what MacGyver did. And at the end of the MacGyver theme, that's what he does. He gets up. He's just done something amazing. And he blows out his cheeks. And um, yeah, James Milner reminded me of MacGyver at the weekend. He was the hero. And MacGyver is probably one of my favorite American heroes. Really? When I was a kid, that theme. I'm curious for the rest of that list. That theme tune uh, just got me so pumped. It was it was my favorite TV show as a lad, and uh, I used to bounce on the bed, and I used to pretend I was MacGyver, um, and I used to blow out my cheeks. I used to sing the, the hum the theme tune right to the end. It's a great theme song. And then blow out my cheeks like, oh, just save the world again. Uh you talking about James Milner reminds me of a Twitter interaction that I saw over the weekend, and it led to, I think quite possibly, my favorite tweet that I've ever read uh, <laughs> since we've started this podcast. You you posted a picture of Milner making that play, which is a great, really, and honestly a great play, given like how close the game was. You said, what a pro he's been. Big moment in this morning's game. And then uh, at Bob Duggan 7 said, boringly effective. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, what's and then, boring about and that? And then you responded with, there's nothing wrong with it, except I don't think that's true. At which point, at Josh Milmore chimed yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. with just the great – he said uh, – in response to your tweet, he said, you unnecessarily disagree with a lot of things, to be fair. But, but and I, I just – through the web, I high-fived him. I hugged him. <laughs> but like – I oh, mean, it was so funny. I mean, I can't I, – I thought about it and like – apart from the Twitter and his – you know, the boring James Milner Twitter, which was funny – and the assumption that this guy was boring, and maybe he is boring off the field. Nothing he does on the field well, is boring. Well, that's the thing, though, is like, you're right, moments like that, like ah. there's nothing boring about stuff like that. But, you know, I get what he's, what the guy, uh, Bob Duggan, what he's saying in that, like, James Milner, he's just not one of those guys whose name pops off of a team sheet, you know? Like, there's oh, some player. Oh, no, definitely there's, not. There's some player, like Raheem Sterling, like, there's just some guys that, like, Bang! Like those names, they light up, and like he's just not one of them. But you look at the things he does; he's effective. He's always effective. Uh, you know what I thought as well? If it's I... kind of just like old faithful. You know, it's like that's not necessarily like the most exciting thing ever. But you know, Niagara Falls is exciting. Is old faithful, exciting. I don't know. It goes off every hour. But do you not think when you see James Milner, he's this like exemplification of a certain type of heroic Englishness that we think of in like 1917, the film? I could cast him in that. 
I could see him in that. To me, that was always Scott Parker. Yeah, but I see what you're saying. Captain Scott Parker <laughs> yeah. of the Airborne Division. Yeah. Uh, but like seeing that tweet that somebody said, to be fair, you you unnecessarily disagree with a lot of things. I mean, you and I, we just had an interaction um, having to do with this. Oh, you're that last week where you got uh, mad I, with me. Yeah, I got really angry. No, you. you can't read that because really we were we were no because you can't read that. <laughs> I'm flailing here. You may not read that. <laughs> no, the reason that doesn't work was because we were laboring under a false. Uh, I know, I know. Just to, just and to, we'll get to that. I know. It, it, well, we're talking about it now. So real quick, I'll just right. say that. Um, well, we can even go into it because uh, we're going to talk now about the two teams this week that had bad weekends, and one of them being Tottenham. Um, so we'll talk about them now, but it's just funny. Uh, so after the FA Cup match last weekend or last week, uh, Tottenham lose the game on penalties. It's a devastating loss on to, uh, on its own, like within its own right, because mm. le- the league season is going spiraling out of control. They're losing in the Champions League right now. I forget the last year where Tottenham haven't reached the quarterfinal of any cup competition, but it's something like o two o three. Yeah, which is like. Yeah, like incredible. They, now they don't win them, but they at least like give you ho- false hope for a longer period of time. It looks like we could be headed to a year where that doesn't happen. Um, we'll see what happens with Leipzig. So like all of that is kind of sifting through the minds of Tottenham fans after they've just lost to Norwich on penalties. Uh, and then Eric Dyer goes running into the stands to like, fight a fan. And it's just like, as a Spurs fan, your mind is just, you're watching all of these things occur around you and you're just like, where has my club gone? And so I texted you something to the effect of, um, this is stunning Champions League finalists I, in May yeah, and now like we're just, doing this. Just they, to think of where we were. But the just basis six for ago. that text was that we thought, uh, someone had made a, a racist comment towards Gedson and, uh, Gedson Fernandez and that, um, Dyer was going to up to, confront the person right, so i'm so my response was like yeah i i understand i have that. it here I, I don't see how the two things happen you, said, you wrote back to me um I, I said these scenes are just so sad to me to think this club was in a champions league final less than a year ago it's just sad and then you said lots of teams go through bad patches it doesn't end with players chasing down supporters because of a racist comment being thrown yeah i couldn't and get i wrote back i said i love when you question me after a totally innocuous comment that really anyone would be feeling but i what i it wasn't it wasn't so much I was questioning you. I was more questioning the situation, if you know what I mean. But like, even, sound- if, even if that was the situation, though, like to think of, of going from like the height of like every supporter just loving each other and loving this club, and now here we are. Like, even if that was the case, like a fan being racist to a player and that player we attacking should, him in the at stands, this point, it's just like what, what has happened in the last eight months? This is this is not the club that I recognized from just like less than a year ago. All right, I was a little bit uh, quick off the draw. You can't help yourself. Yourself. Uh, you you're so argumentative. All right, okay. I'm, a, I'm a saint. One day, when I'm going to die, I'm going to go straight to heaven for what I've done here on this podcast. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you won't let me baptize you, so that's going to be half the problem. But let's um, let's talk about Tottenham yeah. And a we should bit, also though. state the reason Dyer went into the stands was to confront a fan who had been abusing his brother. It had it had nothing to do with racism, right? Uh, that was what circulated on Twitter for about an hour. Right. Afterwards. Eric Dyer's younger brother happened to be near a fan who, for some reason, was berating Dyer, who I didn't think had a particularly bad game and actually converted his penalty. Uh, but for whatever reason, a, a fan made Dyer his target, and Dyer's brother took took umbrage with it. And next thing you know, Dyer's in the stands trying to fight a guy. With his and full just, kit on and yeah. his studs clambering over the seats. Like, that's an injury waiting to happen. No, the, the whole scene is just like, are you are you kidding me right now? And it was just, 
It's kind of like I talked before about what the West Ham DVD menu would look like. That might be Tottenham's DVD menu. Was Eric Dyer climbing into the stands to fight a, a supporter of his club? Season like, review. It's just like this is. I don't know how it spiraled so quickly. Well, part of me does. I mean, let's talk about Josie Mourinho a little bit here. Um, and the weekend. And the weekend where Tottenham get a one-one draw with Burnley at Burnley. That on its own is not horrifying. They lost there under Pochettino last season. Um, Here's what's happening, though. So uh, one of the things with Mourinho that is almost hard to gauge for when he comes to your club that I'm now learning is that whether it's fair or not, uh, he brings with him, (laughs) as we're finding out, almost a toxicity that it's not always him that creates it. Now, this week it was, but he's so polarizing that I feel like it just everyone around the club just feels like they're on edge. And while you hear these stories that from within the club, uh, he's actually become a very well-liked guy, that people find him funny, that he's like people enjoy being around him. This is stuff I was reading over the weekend about him. Um, but around the club, among the fans, among the media, he's the polarization is so intense that I just feel like there's just like this this atmosphere of toxicity that surrounds a club when he is there. And if if you're winning, it keeps it at bay. But when you're not, I feel like it's it, it's a bad atmosphere on steroids. Well, it goes, Everything it happens goes back, so quickly. It goes back to Miguel Delaney's point that he works best in in a process of tension. He needs to create tension for something to come about. Now, he may have genuine... Let, let's actually get to it. So, after the game, he singled out Tangwe Indombele for... Well, let's just listen to it. Yeah. Uh, here's Mourinho on his... Uh, he was asked about his halftime changes. He took Indombele and Oliver Skip. He took both of them off after 45 minutes. Here's Mourinho. We saw what you changed. Just tell us why and what difference it made. Uh... I think obviously the quality and the dynamic of Lucas and uh, and Los Celso they made um, they made a difference and uh, I don't I, I want to say but I cannot say uh, we had something in the first half that we, we didn't have in the second half so in the second half we we improved a lot but don't ask me to tell more because I cannot do it. Can I go on a quick tangent real quick? Please. Jose Mourinho in his don't ask me to say what I cannot say. And then his proceeding. This is only a small clip. Like his then proceeding to talk about it seemingly for hours afterwards. Like, but no, please don't ask me to talk about this thing that I am so desperate to talk to you about. I can only think of one thing uh, when I hear him talk that way. It was from the office after Michael and uh, Jan. I think this is when they went on their vacation together. And Michael's trying. He doesn't want anyone seemingly to ask him about it. I just keep thinking of that scene. Officially, I did not see her. But I did see Jan there. In our room. At night. And in the morning. That's all I'm going to say. Sex. Sex. We had sex. I had sex with her. I had sex with Jan. Yeah, he he plays this little game where 
Oh, I, I can't possibly talk about that, but I mean, if you ask me, <laughs> I guess I will. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second part of it is he did that on Sky. Um, by process of elimination, the reporter for Sky got it down to Tanga in Dombele. Well, here's the thing, though. This is not like everyone is treating this like this is a new no. isolated. Mourinho has been talking negatively about Ndombele for a while now. He's clearly been even fed up with to the his point fitness. of commenting on YouTube videos where his tracking back against Wolves was bad. Like, I mean, this, this is this he, has been in the works. I think he reached his breaking point with this game because the fixture list is crowded and Tottenham have an absolutely massive game coming up against Leipzig in the Champions League. And this is the, that's the competition now where I think Mourinho, more than any other, is determined to really uh, make some hay and, like, get this season people feeling good about what's going on. And so I think I think he just wanted to be able to rest Lo Celso, who's been the, Tottenham's best player. Yeah, uh, but why— and, and, and I guess he was just— he reached his breaking point that Ndombele, who's clear, it's frustrating because he's clearly good. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen enough of, of of like these brief moments from Ndombele where you can tell he's a good player, but for whatever reason, like Mourinho being frustrated about this guy isn't what's wrong to me. I'm frustrated about him. I've talked about Ndombele for weeks on this podcast, saying like he could be this the link that makes this work for them. Um, but they're not getting it out of him. Mourinho's flaw, if you want to find one in this is just how quickly he's willing to say all this in a public forum. Um, but he's following the Mourinho playbook. Uh, this is, like, he he did this at United with Pogba, well, with Mkhitaryan. Uh, you were telling me earlier, like, with Chelsea, you remember this happening with Joe Cole. Uh, like, this is, he is, he finds a guy, usually a guy who came on big wages on a big money contract, who he believes, okay, we're going to spend that for you. We need to be getting a representative performance for that money. And when you don't get it, this is this is what he does. Um, Paul Hayward of The Telegraph has a good angle on this that I'm curious to put to you. Um, here he is talking on Sky's The Sunday Supplement. He puts these players through a kind of boot camp, doesn't he? A psychological boot camp if he thinks they're not um, up to speed in the Premier League. Um, there always seems to be a big price tag involved as if he... As if he um, as if he does, the more you cost, the more he's going to go after you. Uh, when I watched the analysis of that game last night, I didn't think Ndombele was any worse than any other Tottenham midfielder in that first half. So I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure why he picked him out. Presumably it's cumulative and he feels that he's not contributing enough in general and he's not training well enough or whatever it is. But I think to, um, to expose a player like that, I don't, I don't see that that's likely to help him unless he's, unless Mourinho has decided that the way to, to get him going is to embarrass him, really, sort of humiliate him, really, in front of the cameras, then how is that possibly going to help the player? I think he's right about that last part. I don't see this ending well. So I, uh. There's a young player who's not from this country, who's new to this league, mm. uh, and to think that embarrassing him publicly will be what sets him right. Now, if it does, then it'll be a stroke of genius, and it'll tell you something about Ndombele's character, um, that he could put up with that at, at such a young age and and learn from it. Uh, but I feel like more often than not, when do, like when does this work? When well, that, have we well, seen Mourinho do this before? Well, well that's what worked? I that's what I asked myself today. So I, I tried to go deep and find some scholarly articles about the psychology of hu- public humiliation, mm-hmm. and can it? provide motivation and really i mean it was it was dense reading so i'm not going to bore you with stuff but one article i read did say did talk that the usual response is inertia that it doesn't motivate that it doesn't inspire that it causes a spiral of shame now 
Unless he believes that this is not a teaching moment for Ndombele. Like, maybe he believes, okay, this player is a lost cause, so I'm going to just use him as a way of sending a message to the rest of the team. Right. So that that would be more the Fitch Lamana uh, approach. So Fitch Lamana was a convict, a member of the mob on Sopranos, and he tells the story of how when he his first day in prison to send a message to everybody else in the prison that he was the toughest guy and he was going to run the, run the, run the, the, the roost, the roost or whatever you want to call it. Um, he goes and beats up for no reason the biggest guy in the prison yard. Mm-hmm. Now, but Ndombele is not the big, like, well, he's the, the one thing if, if Mourinho was doing this to Kane, mm. but like, you've, you've picked on a young player who just got to this club. I but he's know. on big wages. He's yeah. I I don't know how he thinks this is going to play out. Also, it's worth noting now. He talked about the lack of control in midfield and Tottenham being overrun in that horrifying first half. And I'm thinking, put another extra midfielder in there, the one you've started in the center of a back three, and put freaking Vertonghen at, as a left wing back who was anonymous during the game, which is lucky, because last time I remember him playing there was for Belgium against Japan, and he was toasted out there. Like, you can't say Mourinho got his tactics right. Was Is focusing on Ndombele in this game a smokescreen for the fact that he screwed it, that he got it wrong against Burnley? Like, that was a horrifying first half, Andrew. And also... There's a kind of smugness to him about about the way he talks, uh, you know, the thing that we didn't have in the first half, uh, it, it, the thing that we had in the first half we didn't have in the second half, as if the changes he made turned the game around. Well, in some ways they did. Because they tied the game and they were hanging on at the end. Well, they could have won that game as well on, on a okay. couple occasions. Lacelso came on and, and, he your took, best and he took the game over. And he's because he's their best player by a by a country mark. Right now he is. Without Son and Kane there, he's he's kind of asserted himself. I thought Deli Alley was going to become that in the early days of Mourinho. And while he did score, he got his 50th Premier League goal on a penalty. Um, but Lacelso is it right now. He's 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 been so Can good. I just ask you as a Spurs fan, do you like this? Like, do you like that your manager is talking about no. a player like this? No. No. Because you look at the way he comforted, quite rightly, comforted and protected Eric Dyer this last week. Like, oh yeah, he did a great job doing that. So this is not uh, an emotional intelligence thing. It's within his his emotional bandwidth to be that manager that protects his players. Like like I think we feel in England, uh, certainly those of us who watch the the English game, that that's what a manager should do, should be to protect the players. Um, right, and if you want to scream at them, do so, but not in private. In yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just can't help but wonder. Also, like, do we sometimes give Mourinho too much credit? Like, is it is it definitely a thing that this is some kind of mind game? Or do you think that, like, he's an emotional guy, and Dombele is clearly good, and Tottenham aren't getting that out of him. Players are tired with their biggest game of the season coming up on Tuesday. And Dombele was presumably one of the guys who wasn't tired. Once again, he gave a performance that wasn't good enough. Uh, and maybe Mourinho's just like... It's just like one of those, you caught me after the game, you put a microphone in my face when I'm really mad at this guy, and I'm I'm honest. It felt it felt calculated, though, didn't it? I tend to think that it is. I'm just throwing that out there, but I don't even agree with that myself, because he does it so many times. That, All you know, I'm convinced. part of his, his like man management style. I don't think it's in the best interests of the club to be acting like this. Um, I think it's, I think it's bad. I can't, and I don't think it'll work, crucially. 
Well, that, and that is what, cause, and again, if it works, then he'll have this guy forever. Like there will be, like, it will tell me something about Ndombele if he responds to this and really kicks on and becomes a great player. I, you know, I always go back to what Damien Duff, who was a young player at Chelsea, who was not bought by Mourinho. And Duff's hard work won him over and his willingness to do what Mourinho wanted. Hey, Damien, you're going to be a winger. You're going to get forward and you're going to score against Barcelona in the Champions League. You're also going to end up playing fullback for a lot of the games. And he just kind of, for the most part, signed up for it until he didn't. And then Mourinho said, I'm sad to see him go. But he went, he sold Duff not because he wouldn't do what that, what that role was. He sold him because Duff didn't really want to do it anymore. Not that he actively wouldn't. And I'm wondering if uh, maybe he's trying to break down. I don't know. Ndombele, I don't think this is the I, right way to do it. I was it. saying to you that just like this has become a season that I can't wait for it to end. Partially because just like you go into all these games now, just like what's the thing that's going to happen that's going to ruin my day. But what's more than that, I'm actually now really curious to see. This all feels like one big tryout under Mourinho, where he's just testing everyone to see who's a part of his plan and who's not. I'm so curious once we get to the summer transfer window where we begin to find out the guys that he has no use for. And I'm reading reports where Levy said there's going to be a 50 million cap if they don't make the Champions League, which, how's he going to respond to that? But, uh, yeah. Yikes. By the way, what do you think um, should happen to Eric Dyer? Do you think he should he should receive a ban for that? Uh, you can't go into the stand. You're uh, You're breaking the... What is it? The fourth wall here. You can't do that. The fourth wall would be if he turned at the, I guess, at the camera and screamed at the fans at home. <laughs> to all you watching, I hear you. That, like um, Rooney did against Algeria. Um, yeah, like it's one of those things where if you saw your a family member in distress in the stands, look, who among us wouldn't want to have that reaction? But, but you, by the same token, you're like you you're also kind of right. Like a precedent sort of needs to be set that it's kind of just an unacceptable thing. Is there a place in the it's... modern game for a man of such average talent? It was hardly For that. a man. Come on, this was not Cantona level. No, Don't it be wasn't. Like that. It wasn't. But yeah, it's one of those like weird ethical dilemmas. Like what's the one people always say, would you would you steal a loaf of bread to feed the poor? To feed your family if yeah. you were if you were starving. Yeah, I would. This feels like a a direct parallel. Maybe this was even more important, quite frankly. <laughs> Uh, one other team we wanted to mention here for the bad. JJ, last week uh, we talked about El Clasico, hmm. and we said as big of a win as it was, uh, it almost feels meaningless in that these two teams don't feel good enough to now go on and just win the remainder of their games. And sure enough, Real Madrid come right back and lose to Real Betis uh, 2-1, and Barcelona on a late penalty from Leo Messi win their game, and now jump right back over Real Madrid. Nullifying the results last weekend. Essentially. Yeah. Um, this was... Uh, Madrid, it's not like Madrid were, you know, outclassed or, or anything in this game. I mean, Betis played played well at times, but it was just the nature of the winner, right? <laughs> it's Benzema who scored the penalty, and he collects it in the middle of the... He's actually in a midfield position. And he just plays this atrocious pass. Like this completely square pass. I don't know who he was trying to pick out. I'd have to watch it again. And the whole defense opens up. It's like there's this massive gap. And the Betis player runs straight through and scores. And I'm like, this is rubbish. You can't lose a ball in the center of the park and automatically it's a chance on goal. Like, what kind of team is this? They're just not very good. And you know, it's weird though because Real Madrid... 
statistically are actually having a really good defensive season, better than what they typically do. I know, but um, I mean, that was just... But they still have, you're right, they still have even the moments. O- even the opener for Betis, which was a really good strike, but it was at an angle, and it's Courtois who's never fully convinced people while he's been there, um, kind of get gets beaten at his near post. Mark Barcher, by the way, missed a header. Guys, go on to YouTube. It's on the BN Sports account. Uh, Mark Bartra's missed header was, for Betis, was quite horrifying. <laughs> it's the kind I think you would have scored in that position. I mean, that's... Point blank range. <laughs> so it could have been worse for Madrid. Oh, look, how could it have been worse? They lost. No, they lost the game. Yeah. That is, uh, Zidane, furious afterwards, said that it was their worst game of the season. Um, yeah. They just didn't do the things, I guess, that he wanted them to do. Execution. Yeah, there, there seemed to be a lot of that... Um, but again, just the, the nature. I mean, that should have been a mundane 1-1 draw, if, if I, to be perfectly fair. And uh, there we are. Yeah. Uh, bad weekend for them. Bad weekend for Spurs. We'll see uh, We'll see what happens next. Uh, let's go into what to watch for now. Champions League. Uh, we'll start with Spurs. Tuesday, 4 o'clock. Uh, they go back to Germany to face RB Leipzig. 1-0 is the deficit that they are up against. Two draws on the bounce in the Bundesliga for RB Leipzig. Is that... Uh is that a, is it a no. good time to play it? No, it's no. not a good time to play them. Okay. No, I don't have I don't have a good feeling about this. This is we're kind of now at a point with Tottenham where like the sample size is large enough where we know what this season is. So for me to feel good about any game at this point, like they're going to have to they're going to have to get something going here and and start changing people's minds. There's no reason to really go into a game right now feeling good, especially a game like this on the road against a really good German opponent. Um yeah, I don't I don't have, I don't have a good feeling. Tuesday, four o'clock. Also, Valencia and Atalanta. Uh, Atalanta with a, a big four-one lead that, uh, going into that second leg back in Spain. But if we recall or recount the first game, Valencia had so many chances that they will be looking back on, thinking, "God, if we had maybe just converted one or two more of those." That was a thumping on paper only. So it's going to be interesting to see what Valencia pull out at the uh, at the Mestalla. Yeah. Then Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, by the way, is a sneaky jam-packed day of soccer it is we'll start with the champions league where uh, liverpool have a deficit against atletico madrid going back to anfield so you know how the script has already been written (laughs) but they are trailing technically right now one nil uh that's at four o'clock by the way four o'clock everybody eastern time because of daylight savings so yeah i know it's a weird weird factor that in yeah you're normally accustomed to especially with your commute Mm. right so four o'clock speaking of which I, i was actually thinking that uh for tottenham I'm going to say it right now because this is this may very well be their last truly like big game. I feel like this season. I think I'm going to try to go DVR mode here. Oh, and have a nice glass of wine as you I watch it I'm in the tr- evening. Yeah, I think I'd rather. Should they lose? Uh, I think I would only rather like the last two hours of my day be ruined rather than like the entirety of it if I watch it in like live in the middle of the day. So I'm, I think I'm going to save it. I think I prefer to go to bed sad. <laughs> no, but if they if they win though, this would be such a huge comeback. So I, I think I want to really enjoy it, and not have to watch it at work. I'm curious because four o'clock. I feel like it's late enough in the day. I wonder if people will agree that it feels like it's it's more attainable to avoid the. Score. I think so. And I also think you're going to get to see the game quickly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you, you, yeah, because yeah. that should end around six, unless there's extra time. Your commute is forty even, minutes, right? So I feel like it's you know, it can be done. It can be done. Um, Amanda, I'm in my office. Don't disrupt me. <laughs> Don't tell me what happened. Uh, yeah, Liverpool trailing Atletico Madrid. 
I do wonder. I know Liverpool like another fun win over the weekend. Whatever uh, their waltz to the league, like they may actually Two games. they may actually win the league now. There's a way that they could win it before they even play again. Uh, yeah, but City would have to do something, and uh, then we we need to beat the Ev. So, or maybe I, I I don't know. Well, whatever. I think there is a way, but well, I, I'm I'm focusing on Crystal Palace at home. But I do wonder though, uh, like you are in a stretch right now that has not really been what what this season has been representative of. No, it's a it's a tricky spot. Yeah, yeah. but those uh, would this would losing this going out in the round of sixteen of the Champions League, uh, this would like I know what the season is about. It's about winning the league, but. I would also say, make no mistake, like this would hurt. Yes, it would. I think I think that is like yeah. you've been so caught up in in what they're doing in the league, but this is like yeah, because the ideal scenario is with the league almost tied up that you have all that just coast. very soon you can focus solely on the Champions League. Yeah, think about it. We have eighty two points. It's the first week in March. That's insane. It is insane, and so it would be a shame to have built up all that momentum so you can have a. Not a free run, but a, a really good focus on the Champions League, a retaining your Champions League. Yeah. I, I just want to say, there is a lot of negativity surrounding, you know, the fact Liverpool went out of the FA Cup and the treble's not on now and now, you know, the unbeaten season and all this stuff. Liverpool's sense, I would say, November 2017 have been unbelievable. The title race, hopefully solid, winning the title this season and two back-to-back European Cups. This is a, this has been an amazing stretch. No, you're in, like, this is an era now that the generation above you would, would talk about. Yes. Like, you, this is, you're in that moment now where you will talk about what, what 100%. Yeah. Uh, and then last but not least for the Champions League, uh, Wednesday at four o'clock, PSG and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, boy, those games up against one another are so tough to decide which one you want to watch. Well, the deciding factor may be the fact this is behind closed doors. Um, that's what the rumor, the statement was from. Not just a rumor. Not rumor. What am I talking about? The no, statement. There will, be, there will be no fans in the uh, in the stadium uh, for PSG in this game against Dortmund. Um, I thought in the uh, among the first leg matches, I thought this was the most compelling. I mean, it could still be the one to watch if you can just factor out the fact that you know, say what you like about PSG, they do have amazing ultras. Like they're really good, and they would have. They're going to put up. They would have put up oh, an amazing atmosphere. It's no small thing to not have your home crowd right. in a must-win Champions League match. Everything is befalling PSG just at these points. We talk about pressure on Liverpool to advance. Like, boy, the PSG. This is like these are the moments. Like you get Neymar for a reason. Um, he can't go missing in this game, which would really surprise me if he did. Uh, Mbappe has been playing well lately. Scored an amazing goal. Um, I think they can do it. I think PSG can turn this around. I really do. But I would, my heart would hurt for poor Gio if that were to happen to uh, Borussia Dortmund. And by the way, the reason I say Wednesday is so jam-packed, there's also um, the kind of makeup match between Manchester City and Arsenal at 3.30 in the Premier League, which like on its own would be a, hu- <laughs> a huge game that day. Uh, so, man. And then I haven't even gotten to CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock, Montreal and Olympia. And then here's your Wednesday games, the doubleheader, 8 o'clock, NYCFC and Tigres. Yeah, uh, I, sp- I spoke to Ronnie Dahlia, of, uh, manager of NYCFC, former Celtic manager. Uh, they had their media day, and he was, is bullish the right word? Uh, decide for yourself. It must be great to be in international competition 
and against such a big and famed team from Mexico um, what's the approach going to be like to that one? No, we're going to be ourselves but uh, of course we have to be be at, at our best you know we have to really really get out everything we have then we can beat everybody in, uh, in Champions League and also in MLS so uh, and we have everything to win you know, this, uh, the pressure is on the Mexicans and uh, and they likes to to come from down and get up as a hit from the front bottom what's it what you call I don't know what the name is yeah 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 uh, be, be outsider you know yeah exactly uh, yeah. And, um, the underdog underdog that's, that's going to be um, yeah they, uh, we're going to do it difficult for them yeah, I'm slowly learning, JJ, the, the two words that I don't know uh, if they really have them in Europe. Um, hustle. Right. And I guess underdog. We don't do hustle. Um, we do have underdog, though. Oh, you do? Yeah, we definitely do. Oh, okay. Um, I'm rooting for Ronnie because oh, yeah. NYCFC had that defeat at the weekend in Toronto. It's a bad start. You could tell even after the Columbus game because that interview was after the Columbus game and he was... Uh, he was so anxious to get back on the field and, and put it right and, and get the winning, well, what we expect will be winning going for NYCFC. Do you agree with the idea of what he says that all the pressure is on Tigres? Not now, no. I don't know, yeah. Not now. Uh, gen- generally, the pressure is on the Liga Mekis teams. Yeah, they'll be favored, um, as he points out but there. The fact but- that uh, NYCFC have only scored against San Carlos and haven't won a game in the league going into this p- puts pressure back on him, I, I would think. Um, he's a very nice guy. Uh, one more on Wednesday night in the CONCACAF Champions League. 10.30, Club America and Atlanta United FC. Um, this is probably your high profile. Is this your most high profile? Well, you know what? No, Thursday at 10.30, LAFC and Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul right now I believe sit first in Liga MX. LAFC um, viewed by most as the best team in MLS. Like this, what a matchup to get at the quarterfinal stage. Yeah, um, those are serious games. Yeah. Those are all first legs, by the way. Um, so nothing will be officially decided Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, but obviously important games. Um, that is about it. I know you had one more clip here that you wanted to play. Well, I, I have two things I want to talk about. First of all, yeah. uh, shame and humiliation continues. Oh. The public shaming continues as Dusan Tadic went after Serginho Dest against Hernveen. Uh, during the, their Eredivisie game, which Ajax won 3-1, but this was at 0-0, I believe. And, it was uh, early in the game. Yeah, and he just got into his face. Um, and it was, I went and I translated the, Nor- uh, the Netherlands paper, the N, sorry, the AD newspaper to find out what Tadic said. This is Tadic on his outburst in Dest's face. <laughs> this is normal in football. There is always a little bit of emotion. He went forward, and if I lose the ball, Ajax is 1-0 behind. I was a bit emotional. That's good in a competition. He is a good boy and a player, but I have a lot of experience, and then I try to help him and also help the team. I said to him, not every time forward. He says it's normal. It's not normal. I was going to say, he's right to a point. What he did was more, like you don't see that, what he did. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. You know why he did it, though. Week in, week out. No, why? Because when you watch it back, he shouts at Dest. Dest says points, something back to him. And Dest sasses him, yeah. basically. And he didn't like that as captain and yeah. as a senior guy and got right in his face. Are you okay with it or do you go too far? De- I, I uh, think he's too far. Tadich. Yeah. Oh, you do? Too far. That's Roy Keane stuff from like the 90s. Can't do it. Shouldn't do it. Wow. I'm, I'm surprised that that's your take on it. No, you, uh, I, I'm that public shaming. It's the same with, uh, 
Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich Kimmich love in, where he'd be enthusiastically after a cup final that they've won in his face, doing all these things and being all emotional about what he should do and where he should be. Just save it. Do it in the locker room. That's the place for it. But Tadic isn't the coach. Like he's He can say to him going down the tunnel in the locker yeah. room, we say, Listen, it's fine for you to get forward, but if I lost that ball there, they're in behind and it's one nil Hernveen. It's p- perfectly fine. Yeah. I, I guess won- we don't know exactly what it is that Des said back to him. He sassed him. I'm I'm actually kind of okay with it. It felt very older brother, little brother to me. And like I don't know the nature of their relationship. Maybe if these guys shouts are, in his face, it's uh, yeah. very domineering. It's I don't like it. It was very alpha male. Now, if you look at the top of the table, Ix are tied with Is at Alkamar on fifty six points. So maybe there's a pressure him as captain that they they feel having such a close yes. title race. I don't know. And finally, the the other thing was um, listening to the BSI podcast. That is the uh, Benny Sal and Ike podcast. Uh, the guys are talking to Sebastian Legette and uh, Legette gives us an insight into his time with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic at the Galaxy. The fact that your opponent can see that is just yeah. like, you know, the fact that it's so clear clear to see that, that you know, as soon as you make a mistake or you piss them off for whatever reason, it was like, this this game's done for me. Right. Like, you know, and, I, and I've, had a, I've, I've had a couple of those, you know, not, you know, there's definitely moments where, Dude, like this guy gets on your back, and it's just something about him uh, that just cr- you know crushes you, and you yeah. just you feel like you just you want to literally like take the boots off and just walk you know walk yeah. off the field. Wow, it, that is scathing. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, he didn't vote for him in the MVP awards last season. He literally says that at the start of the podcast, and the guys take forever to get to the juicy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, to name and shame. It's good. It's a good listen. You can get it on Spotify uh, after you listen to our podcast, obviously. Um, but yeah, uh, he was, he, he ended the conversation about Zlatan by saying, we'll be better this season in terms of not having him in. Well, I will say, like, it, the results do speak for something. The Galaxy were never great while he was there. Now they went on a bit of a run. I mean, his numbers but, were great, but. Right. But the, as a team, it felt like they, didn't quite reach the heights that I think uh, they were supposed to reach. And he talked about the incident where they're in a wall and this clip went viral. I think I remember it, but Legette is beside him and Legette's like, do I go cover the guy to the left? Do I go cover the guy to the left? And Zlatan, right at, uh, as the ball is about to be kicked, shoves Legette. Uh And I think Legette has been bearing that grudge for some time now. Um, Very interesting conversation about Legette's career too. Um, One of my favorites. Yeah, one of the most underrated players, I think. Seems on, like a nice guy too, yeah. um, but he did not hold back. Neither, I, I, neither did MLS either. The MLS media people uh, put out that quote on Instagram from their official MLS account. Really? Yes. Hmm. So they're not afraid now that Zlatan's gone to because uh, they they had nothing to say except tweet his stuff when he was there. Yeah. While he slagged. That's very up. interesting. I didn't know that. It came. Yeah, that's where wow. I saw it. And then I went to the podcast. Yeah. Oh wow. So that's pretty. I, I I'd be curious. I get the feeling that Legette is not just speaking for himself. No. I I think uh, I had a conversation with Heath Pierce last week. Not to cut you off, but we this was kind of a thing we talked about with Sweden. Yes. When he was when he wanted to go back into the squad, it seemed like they didn't really want him back. No, and because they wound up it, they wound up playing pretty well without him. And it changes everything. I, I I'm not sure the Galaxy will be better. 
without Zlatan. I don't know that to be the case. I said before, I think they need Leggett and Pavon to have big seasons supplying Chicharito. But um, everything goes through Zlatan when he plays. It, it really does, even yeah. at the, the national team level. I was, talk- I was talking to Heath Pierce. Um, last week, and he said, I, I asked about Henri, what was he like to play with? And he had only good things to say generally. And I was like, were you never not like scared when you'd get the ball and you'd have to pick him out? Like, cause if you don't, you get the glare. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, sending long, accurate balls over the top was scary. <laughs> he said, when he came short, fine, I could find him. But when I had to do something a little bit more difficult and put it on a plate for him, that's when the nerve kicked in. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, good stuff, man. Hey, before we get out, I believe you uh, you have something that you need to tell the people. Oh, I do need to tell the people because, Andrew, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place, Andrew, to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred to over one hundred of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. Like if Andrew's applying, you can filter him out. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, of course, try ZipRecruiter for free. My listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Oh, there you have it. Hey, this was uh, this was fun. There was a lot that happened over the weekend. There's gonna be a lot more that happens this week, uh, with all like we said, we just went through the what to watch for of all the Champions League action, both here and abroad. Uh, you got that Manchester City Arsenal game this weekend. Who knows? Liverpool are like the moment is is arrived. You must be you're keeping it in very well. I wonder what you're gonna be like when this happens because you try. I know you put up this front where you try to be so measured about it. I'll be emotional. Yeah. I think uh, there'll be a few tears. Uh, there'll be a very emotional phone call home. Will it take my a, dad? Will it take away in in any way from the experience if this happens? Like I, I remember when Leicester City won their title, they won it just watching Tottenham and Chelsea. I always thought like, eh, I think it would have been more fun if they won it like because they won. I think the wait has been so long yeah. that it just. I'm just trying to affect this in some way. I know you are. I mean, there's a real chance with obviously with what we're seeing with the coronavirus that they may lift the cup in an empty stadium. Oh wow, that. That's why I wonder with the Premier League if if they if they wrap it up at home to Crystal Palace or if it's done for the home game at Crystal Palace, would they give them the cup that day? Like. I mean, a full month Boy, ahead. Sports More leagues, than a month ahead. Sports leagues around the world. This is a... We didn't really talk about this. It's a weird time to get into it now because we're super late. But, like, this is a weird dilemma that the entire world, the sporting culture of this world is trying to deal with because there really are no larger public gatherings than what you get in in, ga- in prominent games. I mean, the Six Nations rugby has been postponed. Ireland were supposed to play France this weekend in a, in a big game. That's off now. They're going to push that back. They, the last time there was an outbreak of foot and mouth in 2001, which would affect livestock and, and, um, and food, they played the games in the fall. Is there going to be... I mean, think of the European Championships, Andrew. I know. The Olympics, European Championships, there's a lot. And the European Championships is just, it's so impractical now. It can't even be one country. It's all these cities. Uh, there's a lot that's, uh, 
that's coming up. And this is just like a really complicated issue for sports leagues around the world to deal with. And, you know, they're trying to think ahead and think on their feet. And uh, it's, it's, it's very strange and quite scary. Yeah. Well, we hope everybody stays safe. Uh, thank you for listening. Enjoy all the games coming up this week. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.